Hello, I'm Anna Elliott and this is Blendle Handpicked. If you give me five minutes of your time, I'll give you three stories that stood out above all the rest this week. My first pick today is a piece from Ellie Shackett in the New York Times about Dr. Monica Gagliano, a scientist who believes she can talk to plants. What I love about this story is that Shekhet acknowledges right from the get-go how strange that probably sounds to you and me. The first paragraph is a masterpiece. Monica Gagliano says she has received yoda-like advice from trees and shrubbery. She recalls being rocked like a baby by the spirit of a fern. She has ridden on the back of an invisible bear conjured by an osher root. She once accidentally bent space and time while playing the ocarina, an ancient wind instrument, in a redwood forest. Oringam, she says, means thank you in plant language. But immediately afterwards, Shekhet throws a curveball by explaining that Gagliano is also a scientific researcher who has published several studies that suggest plants can learn behaviours and remember them. That puts the reader in a strange space between scepticism and credulity. You might think this is funny, but it might just also blow your mind. Gagliano is aware that her claims sound delusional, and she's aware that other scientists aren't so fond of her work. Nonetheless, she thoroughly believes that plants have literally guided her in her career and her life. But just when I, as a reader, was ready to reject her strange claims as pseudoscience, Shekhet reminds us that language isn't just limited to humans in the natural world. Animals can communicate far better than we give them credit for, and when she starts explaining the proven capabilities of plants, the mind boggles. She says, plants share nutrients and recognize kin. They communicate with each other. They can count. They can feel you touching them. So maybe Gagliano's beliefs about plants aren't so weird. They are based on scientific experiments, after all. The question is where science ends and her own subjective experience begins. To unpick that, Shekhet met with Gagliano, and their interview is a wonderful piece of writing in itself. I wish I had time to talk more about this New York Times piece because it really surprised me and left me with a much more open mind than I bargained for. It's well worth 10 minutes of your time and you'll find the link in the show notes. Next up today, I've got a piece from Alex Barker, who's the FT's outgoing Brussels bureau chief, about what he learned covering the EU for eight years. What this piece offers is an unparalleled and surprisingly emotional behind-the-scenes look at what it's like to be a journalist roaming the halls of power in Brussels. Barker has watched the leaders of Europe as they conduct meetings that will affect the whole continent. And this retrospective allows him to pinpoint precise decisions and moments that set whole waves in motion. Brussels has a reputation for being a place where countless rules and regulations are made. And sure, that happens too, but for Barker, that's just a subplot. His description of his journalism beat is surprisingly poetic. Here is the spot where the raw, tangled threads of a continent's politics converge. It's where sleep-deprived leaders are trapped in summit rooms, sometimes for days. It's where Europe's hardest problems come to be compressed and crushed until the pressure is so high, in the words of one summit veteran, the politics turns fluid or breaks into the most vivid dramas. And the dramas he goes on to describe do not disappoint. This is a first-hand look at how these leaders navigated the migration crisis, the Eurozone crisis, and, of course, Brexit. And it's interesting to note here that Barker explains how Britain's decision to leave the EU wasn't a sudden rupture, 
but a gradual peeling away. Many pieces have shown us how wider cultural concerns contributed to Brexit, but this piece does an excellent job of showing how bruised egos behind closed doors and certain timely leaks to the press played just as big a part. If you think of Brussels as a place of faceless grey bureaucracy, then I thoroughly recommend you dive into this 14-minute gem of a piece from Thursday's FT Weekend. It brings the chaos and the drama alive, and you won't be able to stop thinking about it. Last up today is a piece from New York Times tech columnist Brian X. Chen with some somewhat surprising advice. The longer you wait to buy a gadget, the happier you will be. Now, for someone whose job it is to test and review the latest tech, you might expect Chen to be one of those people who always has the newest shiny toy in his pocket. But he isn't. After testing hundreds of gadgets over the years and buying some of them along the way, he's come to one key conclusion, and that is that being an early adopter of new tech comes with risks, and they usually outweigh the benefits. Chen goes on to lay out specific examples where slow adoption was wise in the past. His bad experience with early iPhones taught him a rule of thumb to go by before picking one up. Wait at least a year for Apple to improve the tech and release the S version. They are faster and better. And it's not just smartphones that have us falling into this trap. From watches to cars, the same rule applies. And Chen's examples of how much less money you could spend on demonstrably better products just by waiting a little are eye-opening. With the end-of-the-year tech frenzy coming up, you'd do best to remember this advice before you splash out on the latest premium smartphone from Apple, Samsung or Google. Chen also points out some specific models to be wary of. For more great advice on how to save money while ending up with better tech, check out the full five-minute piece from The New York Times. Thanks for joining me for this week's Top Stories. Check out the show notes for the links to the articles. And if you want to read more, you can go to blendle.com and subscribe to the Daily Digest newsletter, which we send out at 8am Eastern. If you want to get in touch with your thoughts on the show, you can email me at editorial at blendle.com and you can follow us on Twitter at Blendle. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week.